me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Since the last time we recorded, it's it's a full-blown winter here in the Colorado mountains. We're in the deepest, darkest part of winter. I've enjoyed hunkering down by the fire a lot. I'm getting caught up on some of my writing obligations, and I've been busy making big plans for the upcoming year. I've been very focused on my New Year's resolutions. You'll be happy to hear. I've been thinking a lot about my New Year's resolutions lately, and for good reason. Like a lot of you, this time of year, I'm thinking a lot about losing that winter weight I put on over the holidays, about getting in better shape, and just living a healthier life in general. I'm back on the five-pound challenge to lose that pesky holiday weight and to increase my fitness level. So along those lines, I've quit eating all wheat and all dairy products. That's kind of a, a lot to give up, but it works for me. Those are my two biggest calorie culprits, and I can live without them if I uh, don't have to give up anything else. So I also gave up drinking any kind of alcohol for two weeks. And, you know, already I feel a lot better and I feel a little healthier and I'm I'm patient to lose that uh, five pounds. I know it'll come off if I just stick with my plan. I've also added two fun workouts to my wintertime workout regime. I'm doing plie Pilates, which is just kind of a fun uh, and, and challenging spin on Pilates. And also a cardio workout. It's kind of like old school calisthenics, um, but but um, I can make it through and I, I do like an aerobic workout. So both of those are free workouts I found on YouTube. And I enjoy doing that in the winter because it's not always possible to go outside and hike in the morning. Although um, when the conditions allow, I, I still hike in the winter. Uh, we just have to go lower, basically, in the mountains. Um, these are all the kind of things that we talk about on my Five Pound Challenge group page on Facebook. We share ideas and support each other in this never-ending journey to stay healthy and fit. So I hope you'll join us in this endeavor. Just go to facebook.com slash groups slash goodnightchallenge. And we look forward to hearing your ideas. I've also had some fun ski days this winter. Uh, we're having a great snow year, and the conditions are absolutely fantastic up on the mountain. Um, that's great exercise, a lot of fun, fresh air, uh, making the most of the cold winter days. So um, I'm lucky to have that in my um, backyard. I've also been riding my horse bareback mostly, and sometimes without the bridle, we're relegated to riding indoors this time of year. And, and I enjoy riding bareback. It, it really helps me tune up my balance. It totally refines my feel of the horse and our cues become so much more subtle. And, and not the least of which is to burn a few extra calories. Although I have to tell you, Annie has perfected the art of trotting without picking up her feet at all, so I'm not really burning a lot of calories as I ride, 
Although at the canter, things are different. That's where I get my workout is when I do my canter laps riding bareback. So altogether, 2023 is shaping up quite nicely for me. My clinic and expo schedule is posted online now. I'm super excited about all the fun adventures I've got going on this year. I have a full slate of events with three riding retreats in Colorado at the world-famous Sea Lazy U Ranch, plus horse expos in Iowa, Ohio, Massachusetts. I've got horsemanship clinics in Texas and Oregon, and two riding tours in Ireland again this year. So I think that's enough to keep me busy. For details on my event schedule, please visit juliegoodnight.com events. And to get the latest updates from me, be sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter at juliegoodnight.com news. And while you're there, check out my online training resources, memberships, and personalized coaching programs. Plus, find innovative grooming tools, tack, bits, training equipment, and videos at shop.juliegoodnight.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Julie Goodnight. Today's topic is Horse Goals or Bust Part 2, Get It in Riding, Grand Goals and Audacious Action Plans. In this episode, we're continuing with Step 2 of my Horse Goals or Bust series. Last month, I gave you a handout, a guide to reflect on the year behind you, the accomplishments you and your horse made, the time you were able to devote to your horse life, and the things that were important to you and still are important to you. I think the important take-home messages to derive from your reflection worksheet are to focus on your realistic time commitment this year what you want to do more of or less of, and then picture where you want to be at the end of this year. This month, we'll use your reflections to craft clearly stated, measurable and attainable outcome goals. These are also called action goals that will drive our plan of action for this year. I want to share the stories of two of my longtime students that I've worked with both online and in person. They both jumped immediately on board the horse goals or bus train with me, and they're kind enough to let me share their journey with you. I'm very familiar with their horses and their personal journeys over the years, and I'm grateful they entrusted me with their dreams and plans. Together, the disciplines they cover include dressage, ranch horse, trail riding, trail obstacles, mounted orienteering, and working equitation. Their goals range all, everywhere from competing in a horse show to exploring new riding disciplines to rediscovering their joy of horses. So here uh, today, I'm going to summarize their thoughts after completing the goal-setting worksheet. Then we'll craft their major goals for this year and start strategizing about a plan of action. And finally, I'm going to share with you my own personal horsemanship goals for this year and how I came to the decision to do something that I swore I'd never do. First, I want to introduce you to Elisa. Uh, she is from Phoenix, Arizona, 
She's a veterinarian who works in a large trauma hospital. She's a very tough, high-pressure job. In the best of circumstances, it's tough and high-pressure. But in the past few years, with the pressures of the pandemic and, and other aspects of her life, um, she's just really had a rough, rough go of it. Um, Elisa's owned horses for over a decade, become a very accomplished rider, in my opinion. Um, she's primarily focused on dressage. I've had her as a student in numerous clinics, too many to count. Uh, she was also on the crew of my TV show, and she traveled with us to Ireland in 2018. We toured all over the country together, and that was a lot of fun. So all that to say that I know Elisa pretty well. Uh, in 2022, Elisa said she accomplished a lot less in her horsemanship than she had in years past. But in spite of that, she felt like she had grown her skills in some more intangible ways, which which I might argue, although they're intangible, they're really, really highly valuable things. She said she thought she developed a better feel with horses uh, from doing more liberty work. She also said she thinks she has a lot better balance on a horse from riding bareback a lot. And she was really proud of herself for gaining confidence in riding some unfamiliar horses, um, primarily at Sea Lazy U, and she actually enjoyed it. So she thought that was quite an accomplishment. She's been particular about the horses she rides, and she just kind of went with with the ranch horse she was assigned and, and had a good ride of it. On my suggestion, Elisa counted up her days of riding in 2022, and she counted up 50 days in the saddle. I don't think that's bad. Maybe it's not as much as years past, but it's not like you uh, didn't accomplish anything there. She felt like that was considerably less than years past, and she also uh, attended fewer clinics than she had hoped to do. Um, She did, however, do a lot of in-hand dressage, and I believe that was um, an outgrowth of her horse developing a lameness problem. Um, She did more trail riding than she had in years past, and she really enjoyed that. And she's gotten into Liberty groundwork, that is uh, doing groundwork without any tether between you and the horse. Uh, So the horse is completely uh, free and chooses to respond to your cues. Um, All of this was really fun for her, and it was a lot less pressure than showing horses and going to a lot of clinics like she's done in the past. And that taught her something. She learned that she could still have fun without being super competitive and super driven and hitting the road every weekend. And so that, if I read between the lines of her worksheet, I think that really influenced her goals for this year. Um, Elisa's only regrets for last year came in the form of wishing she had spent more time with her wise, dear old friend before he died. She felt like he, that was her her friend at the barn and that she had a lot to learn from him yet. Um, and she just wished she had gotten a little bit more time with him. I think that uh, while that might not directly affect your big outcome goals for this year, I think it's certainly a big lesson learned. Um, In my opinion, these kinds of revelations can change your life priorities significantly, can make you stop, slow down, think about it, um, think about others a little bit more. A lot of us have had losses in the past few years that have given us pause for thought. 
And I think one of the best things you can do is take these moments seriously um, and vow to enact change in your life. In other words, uh, don't just forget about this old guy, Elisa. Um, look for a replacement and uh, recognize it when you see it and, and spend time with your friends. And in a way, I think maybe that will uh, impact some of the goals that Elisa has formed for this year. What's important for her going forward? Well, now that she's had the indescribable joy of becoming one with the horse, what she calls the centaur, um, she wants more of it. And I don't blame her. This is addictive. Uh, she wants more connection with the horse. She wants uh, more subtle communication. Basically, she seeks more oneness with the horse. She's discovered that her joy of horses comes from greater connection and the teamwork that you experience together with a horse. She actually now cares more about the effort her horse puts forward than she does about the blue ribbon. This is a huge revelation for Elisa. Trust me, she is highly competitive, not only with others, but with herself as well. She's very driven, type A personality. She's worked so hard to become a better rider over the past decade. But interestingly, she says, but all of my achievements have not brought me to a pinnacle. I think that's a really profound statement that she made in her worksheet. Uh, all of my achievements have not yet brought me to a pinnacle. So, uh, so where have I gone wrong? Where, what direction am I headed? You know, she's had unexpected life changes in the last few years. She's got a very high pressure career. And these things have left her, and I'll quote her here, left me stuck in a quicksand pit, unquote. And she's not even sure what discipline she wants to ride anymore. She's, she's sort of in some ways lost her equestrian identity. And on top of all this life pressure, uh, Lisa has had several struggles with her horses in the past few years. And I know a lot of you can relate to this. Um, she lost her beloved mare and she's been struggling with lameness issues in her primary riding horse. And she had to part ways with a horse that was just a bad match for her. Um, all of this combined has left her with a sense of apathy and sadness about horses. This is coming directly from Elisa. Um, and she said that riding, while it was once the center of her desire, has become, quote, something I have to do rather than something I want to do. Again, I think that's a very profound statement. And I also, I know I talked to so many people year in and year out about their horse journey. I just happen to know this is something that affects a lot of people at some point. You can call it maybe burnout. You can um, call it many things. But, you know, basically she's lost the joy in, in riding horses. So this is a lot to unpack. And I think doing that worksheet and filling it out thoroughly has brought some clarity to Elisa in terms of how she does want her horse life to go this year. She said, adventure, peace, and creativity are the things she wants more of. She wants to, quote, regain the joy and drive I once had, which will hopefully reignite my passion 
in all aspects of my life. Well, Elisa, that's a very lofty ambition. And it's also hanging big expectations on the outcome. But I can see it. I could see her chart a course to rediscover her joy of horses. And I think it's entirely possible, if not likely, that the joy she finds in horses would carry over to other areas of her life. So why not go for it? Turning this into an actionable goal, however, will be the challenge. But now that she knows what she wants, all she has to do is write goals that tie back to her purpose. Elisa is also brewing what she calls a big, hairy, audacious goal of riding in Portugal in 2024 at the Royal Andalusian School of Equitation. This would be a really big deal, riding some very, very high-level horses. So toward that end, if she is going to achieve that goal in a couple of years' time, she would need to start taking lessons on high-level horses this year. So having an ambitious goal looming in your future can be motivating for more short-term goals as well. So I think that's something to kind of hang your hat on in the future for sure. So keeping in mind Elisa's reflections and ambitions and knowing her as I do, I think it's important for her not to overextend herself. More pressure is not going to help her find the joy. So I would hate to see her make a bunch of uh, really lofty goals that was just going to create more pressure in her life. So her goals need to reflect her need to do less and enjoy it more. Elisa is so success-driven that I want to make sure her goals aren't creating more pressure or any sense of falling short. So here's how I am stating Elisa's goals. Of course, it'll be up to her to finalize them, but here's what I have taken from her worksheet and her ideas and what I am handing back to her. Number one, take Jack on four trail rides with friends by year's end. So you got all year. I gave her the whole year because she lives in Phoenix, Arizona, and there's going to be quite a bit of time in there where nobody's going to want to go trail riding. So four trail rides with friends in the next year. Number two, attend Wednesday night roping practices once a month, at least three times throughout the year to work cattle back to shoots. She's not interested in roping. She's interested in exposing her horse to cattle more. So she's going to go and volunteer and just enjoy the fun of that and uh, do something a little bit different with her horse. Number three, participate in two riding adventures, one to Ireland and one to the Sea Lazy U Ranch to enjoy the company of friends and to gain confidence riding other horses. So she's already decided to do this and signed up for both programs. So all she has to do is show up to complete this goal. But I think the underlying message in this goal is to take the light, to have fun, to have adventure, and to enjoy the time you have to spend with friends. And then number four, and finally, and I'm going to have to get some input from Elisa on this, Number four goal is to attend three clinics for either in-hand dressage or liberty work in order to blank. One, two, three. She's going to have to come up with some specific 
measurable outcomes there. And since I don't really know the clinic she's doing and where she's at and what would be an achievement, I'm going to put that back in her court to come up with two or three specific measurable outcomes for that goal. So those are my goals for Elisa. I'm going to talk about her assignment going forward in just a minute. But next, I want to introduce you to Karma Lee. I first met Karma Lee at the American Heart Association Beach Ride. Uh, It's an annual event that happens in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, every year. And we went there to film my TV show. And Karma Lee was nominated to be on the show by the event organizer because of her remarkable story. We did, in fact, make an episode of her story. Uh, You can see that if you subscribe to my online library. Years ago, Carmelie was in a tragic car wreck and uh, totally lost the ability to walk. She discovered her passion for horses because she was sent to a therapeutic riding center where she learned to walk again. And she also discovered her passion for horses. By the time I met Carmelie at Myrtle Beach about six or seven years ago, she was well past the therapeutic riding center. She had bought her own horses and she was fundraising for the 20 mile beach ride that she was about to take. Yet she could still barely walk. She could only go about 100 feet or so at a time with the help of crutches. So she was doing actually quite strenuous riding and driving a horse trailer, loading horse trailer all that, yet she could hardly walk more than 100 feet at a time without resting. Now, on the back of a horse, she could just fly. And so that was one of the huge reasons, I think, that drew her to horses to begin with. Today, Carmelie is very active. She no longer uses crutches. She's more active than most of us. She's begun a second career teaching riding in her hometown in North Carolina, And she still participates in the Myrtle Beach Heart Association ride every single year. Now, like me, Carmelie is a total numbers geek. So upon my suggestion, she printed out some one-page calendars, one for last year and one for this year. And last year, she counted 198 rides between her two horses, plus 17 rides on lesson horses. And she taught 400 riding lessons. She had a total of 228 hours, or that translates to 168 days of riding her own horses, and 131 days teaching riding. Her only regrets from last year are that she didn't take more dressage lessons. So, um, Carmelie, I'm thinking maybe if you just, let's say, completely gave up sleeping, you could probably fit more to your schedule. Upon reflection, Carmelie realizes that she is at her best when she's doing. No matter what the activity is, if she's accomplishing tasks, she's very happy and very energized. I've been around her a lot and I know this about her. She's just like the you know, energizer bunny and she's always busy doing something and she always has a huge plans in her future and she manages to get them done. But she also realized that helping other people is important to her own personal fulfillment and that she especially loves the opportunity to help people discover the joy of horses. So she's been spending more and more time devoting energy to that. 
Like Elisa, Carmelie is very drawn to the connection and partnership that can be forged with a horse. Since horses helped her relearn to walk, this has added significance to Carmelie. She also loves helping horses learn to be good citizens. In other words, she likes training horses and shaping their behavior. And she loves the fellowship that she feels for other riders. So riding also has a social component to her. And um, it's important to recognize all of this stuff because, you know, we want to formulate goals that, you know, make us happy, that, that give us fulfillment. So this year, Carmelie hopes to add one more class to her teaching schedule And she would like to have a few more opportunities for public speaking so that she can share her joy of horses with others. And she wants to go horse camping with her husband more. Plus, she wants to expand into a new riding discipline, um, which for her is working equitation. Working equitation is a wonderful discipline. Google it if you're not sure what it is. It's, um, It's a nice combination of dressage and and trail obstacles and and working horses. Carmelie's a bit of an overachiever. I've I've known that about her for a long time. She does always manage to get things done, but she's always got big goals in front of her. So formulating goals with Carmelie for me will be more about making sure she keeps it real, making sure that she uh, doesn't overextend herself. I want you to remember, Carmelie, there are only 365 days in the year and only so much as possible in one day. So keep that in mind. Here's what I came up with for Carmelie's goals using her goal sheet to guide me. Number one, take dressage lessons with three different instructors to determine which style is the best fit for you and your horse. Number two, attend three working equitation clinics once every six weeks with her horse Capri. Number three, compete in one working equitation show with Capri. And number four, prepare your young horse for mounted orienteering by, and here's where I'm going to need some help from you, Carmelie. I want some specific measurable outcomes that you want to achieve um, with your young horse in regards to mounted orienteering this year. So that's going to take a little bit more work for you. Again, it's going to be up to Carmelie to finalize these goals. And from there, we'll start working on an action plan. So now I want to talk to you a little bit about my goals. Because um, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, I went ahead and printed out my own goal worksheet and I completed it. And it was fun. I'm glad I did it. Um, In my reflections and conclusions, you know, I I felt like I had a pretty good year with my horse, Annie. Um, I'm down to one horse this year. And, um, you know, Annie is a mature, finished horse and she's fabulous and I love her dearly. But I just get kind of bored riding her. And what I what I learned this past year is that I really miss training young horses, and I want I want to get that back in my life. I had very limited time at home in the past year um, due to my work schedule and my boating adventures. 
And I won't have a lot more time this year for the same reasons. So I'm really fortunate not to have a lot of obstacles in my way in terms of what I can accomplish with my horses, except for time. What I want to do more of is I would like to do a few more road trips with the horses. And what I would like to do less of is I would like to do just one or two fewer work trips this year. I think I can pull that off. So here are my audacious goals for this year based on my reflections and my realistic outlook for next year. My number one goal and the one that is a decision I have come to, that's something I swore I would never do, but here it is. I'm going to breed Annie to a stallion named Bet He's a Cat for an April 2024 full. Super excited about that goal. I've already started on the process. Um, and I think it's going to fill in a lot of holes for me. Number two, I'm going to go on one horse camping trip at Lucy's Ranch for two nights. This is going to be my big camping expedition for the year. And I'm good with that. Just one. I just want one. And number three, I want to accompany Rich, my husband, to one versatility ranch horse clinic or competition. And I just want to go hang out, you know, go on the road with the horses and, and support him in his endeavors. So I'm going to vow to do that. I vowed to do it last year and I never did it. So I'm going to make it happen this year. So now that I have my final goals, I can start listing my performance goals. Those are the small steps that will get me where I want to be. I've already started on the steps for breeding Annie um, by making a list of three things that I need to accomplish first. Um, number one, I need to establish a relationship with a repro vet and discuss the plan to breed Annie. I've already actually done that. Did it last week. Number two, I need to gauge in a contract with the Stallion Station, which is the Four Sixes Ranch, for a breeding share to bet he's a cat. I have assigned a due date of that for January 31st. Next thing I want to do is work on preparing Annie's new stall. It's our foaling stall. I want to move her in there soon uh, so that she's well used to it before this time next year. And primarily, I need to install overhead lights on a timer by mid-February so that we can start putting her under the lights in order to encourage her to ovulate. And then number four, the next thing on my action list is to start charting Annie's estrus cycle when she starts coming into heat, and that is in preparation for her pre-breeding exam. So that's my homework. My assignment to Elisa and Carmely is to review the goals I've stated for you here. I'll give them to you in writing if you ask, and I want you to work on them and make them your own and then make a commitment to them. Then you need to start a list of action steps for each goal, like I just shared with you for Annie, um, and that will help you develop your action plan. So what is the very next thing you need to do in the process of accomplishing this goal? So here's my little hint for you. This is something I learned from a self-help book a long time ago, and I still use this technique a lot today. So for every project, or in this case, for every goal that you make, for your big audacious goal, 
you're going to take a blank sheet of copy paper and with a magic marker right at the top in big bold letters, the goal or the project. And then you use this page to keep a list of all your performance goals along the way, all the small steps you need to take. doesn't matter how small they are. You can jot them down on this list. You can rearrange things. You can scratch things out. You can start a new list over here. So this is one place to keep a list of everything you need to do, all the next steps that you're going to take in achieving this big goal. So use one sheet of paper for each of your outcome goals that you've crafted. And this is a place where you'll keep all your thoughts on that project in one place. Next month, we'll talk about assessing the fitness and training level for both you and your horse. This is going to be the first and longest commitment of our journey. So we want to get started on that part right away. And later on, we'll touch on planning, logistics, resource acquisition, these things that are the meat and potatoes of your planning, the framework that supports your goals. So I hope you'll join us for Horse Goals or Bust this year. You can follow along at home or, better yet, join in on the discussion with me anytime. If you have comments or questions about your journey, I'd love to hear about it. Just message me on Facebook or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. now it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey Q&A. Each month, we pick a few unique questions from our listeners and answer them on the air. If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hey, message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Some questions are edited slightly for clarity or length. And by the way, we keep all your questions in a queue dropping off only the ones I've already answered. So even if I've not answered your question yet, I hope to get to it soon, or maybe I'll turn your question into the main topic for a future podcast, which I've been known to do. So please stay tuned. Question number one comes from Lorraine on Facebook, and she asks, Hi, Julie. I love your podcast, and I'm grateful for the knowledge you share. After listening to your podcast last month, I'm wondering if I should get rid of my mule. She bolted on me due to a few things I should have been smarter about. She already was scared when we were riding down the road to get to the nearby trail, eight feet from traffic that zoomed by at 65 miles per hour, when my soda can fell out of my bag and popped underneath her. She took off fast and shot like a bullet. Luckily, I was able to stay on. If I understood you correctly in your podcast, it sounds as if she's likely to do this again, and I don't want to do it again. I now hand walk her on this speedway and mount her when I get to the trail. She's still very scared when I hand walk her, but that's the only way to get to the trail. I'm 62, and I don't want my body's golden years to be spent in pain if she bolts again and I fall off. With your experience, Is bolting going to be something I will always have to deal with when she gets really scared? If so, I'm selling her. I don't know what I should do. Thanks for your time. Okay, well, uh, gosh, that was a scary event, Lorraine. I'll give you that. But it was also 
um, pardon me for laughing. I'm just sort of picturing at the worst possible time that a uh, carbonated can could fall underneath your mule and explode. Um, You know, that was an extraordinary event. You're right. You could have been smarter about it. All of that was entirely preventable. But on the other hand, it was a little bit of an exceptional event. I'm pretty sure you're not going to let that one happen again. So let me just address a few things. First of all, bolting is pretty unusual for mules. They don't tend to be flighty. Burrows, you know, a, a mule is half horse, half donkey, and donkeys aren't flight animals. And so one of the things that uh, we love about riding mules is they are far less flighty than horses. That is not to say that it's impossible for them to have a flight response. It's just that in general, mules are far less flighty than horses are. So I think the fact that it was a scary place and then that can exploded underneath it was just more than than uh, she could take. And so, you know, it was a regrettable incident. But, you know, it's true of all behaviors in horses anyway, that if they benefited from the behavior, they're likely to do it again. So how does a horse benefit from flight? Well, if they get away from what they are afraid of, they benefit. If they get back to the barn, safety of the barn, they benefit. And and if the rider were to come off, then they would have even uh, you know a side bonus. So it's great that you didn't come off in that event, but the mule did succeed in getting away from what it was afraid of. So you know, is it possible that it can happen again? Absolutely. Can you keep the mule out of that extraordinary situation again? Yes. So now in your case, the mule had a traumatic fright that she associated with that location, that specific location. Both horses and mules are very location specific in their associations and so that's not going to change. That mule is going to be afraid of that area for a very long time. So walking her through the scary alley is a smart thing to do. And if that's the only place she's scared, then that's a really small price to pay. If when you get to the other side of this crazy place, you can go off and have a good ride, then I think you should um, you know, be happy about that and just just make a commitment to not get yourself in that kind of situation again. There's absolutely nothing wrong with leading your mule through there. You could also take some time to teach your horse to deal with its fear a little bit better in that area. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute uh, with another question. So uh, yes, it's certainly possible it could happen again, um, but that's going to be true on any horse or any mule that you get it's possible that they could bolt. It's an, it's an instinctive response. So I think it's more important that you become proactive. Uh, you just simply arm yourself with better skills. You stayed on the mule bolting this time, so good job. Um, you need to um, arm yourself with better skills that will enable you to disallow the mule from turning away. So a little quicker on the uptake of your reins, Uh, Take better control of the mule's nose. Don't let him turn away. And then you need to work on your skills for stopping a runaway. I've got a lot of information on this stuff on my website. You can um, search for the pulley rein, emergency stop, 
uh, de-spooking. There's a lot of, of things that will help you, a lot of resources on my website for that. And then finally, just make sure you're using a bridle that is appropriate for an animal that bolts. You know, without getting too deep into the weeds here, um, this is not the, the kind of animal you want to be riding in a bitless bridle or hackmore. You want a bridle, a bit in particular, that gives you the stopping power you need for stopping a runaway. So it's not just the bridle and bit because the rider has to have skills too, but you don't want to be taking that subject lightly. So I wanted to share with you a letter I got uh, on the subject of bolting because, gee, this this subject has come up a lot in the Q&A lately. I mean, there's been multiple questions on the subject, and it seems like the more I answer it, the more questions uh, come up from different people. So last month, I believe a couple of our questions had to do with uh, bolting horses. And uh, one thing that I really appreciated that Lorraine said was that she did some things she could have been smarter about. And a lot of these things are foreseeable, and we get ourselves into situations that we later regret, but that leave an indelible mark on our horse's training and our horse's emotionality. So it's important not only for your own safety to be smarter about these things, um, but for your horse's development, it's important as well. So here's a letter I got just this morning. Dear Julie, good night. I am sitting in the sunshine at Grand Oaks Resort in Ocala, Florida, cleaning my tack after my five-year-old Clydesdale Cross and I went on our first trail ride around the property. I am listening to your podcast, and I just wanted to chime in. I found two experienced riders today to join me in our first ride around the entire property, down into the busy area of the barn, multiple arenas, carriages, a bistro, fishing area, etc. As you may remember from our time filming Horsemaster here, one side of the property sits against a place called Old McDonald's Farm with all kinds of random exotic animals. Today, my two experienced rider friends, very new friends, as in, uh, oh, hello, I'm T, and this week, can I go on a trail ride with you both? <laughs> They have very experienced horses, one named Manny. I know very well because I care for him in the boarding barn here on property. He is a sports car and a true professional. He is fluid in dressage, western dressage, cutting, and that thing you like, Julie, with the garage pole, as well as working equitation. The other horse, a little quarter horse, has been riding around the property for hours every single day for two weeks, and his owner has good horse sense and knows him well. As we were coming around a giant open field on that backside where the farm is, there were cattle, and I knew there was a llama there. I've walked past him while walking my dog, so I know he's there, and I've been very aware of that. From very far away, Manny and Smoke both stop and shoot their heads straight up in the air. Manny's owner says she's never seen him do that before. I, being on my horse's very first trail ride around the property, also my first real trail ride on him ever, I'm hanging back, choosing not to engage. Both of the other riders said, we'll just stand here. And Manny's rider said, I'll just wait until he takes a deep breath. 
Meanwhile, he's got his head up like a giraffe, and Smoke's rider says, Well, I'm not turning my back to him, that's for sure. Again, she has good horse sense. I moved left as Leo had not yet noticed the llama. He was just kind of looking at everything, but not in a fearful way. I moved him to the left until everybody else came to their senses and decided we would ride on in a slightly different direction without turning our backs to the llama. Why am I telling you this story? Your podcast was talking about trail riding and bolting horses, and I just want to say, number one, I went on my first trail ride today with Leo, and he was spectacular. Lots to look at, lots to be afraid of, but we just expected that and tried to build a positive experience. And number two, I chose two riders to accompany me that had good horse sense, and that makes a huge difference. I consider I was lucky to find that because a lot of times we have to just take whoever we can get if we need the company. So mainly, I guess I just wanted to brag about my first trail ride on my horse, Leo. But also, like Julie said, her father said, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. I was very aware of what to anticipate and expect on this ride around the property, and I never took anything for granted. Aloha, T. Cody. Well, thanks for sharing that success story with us. And uh, again, I think it's really important and you owe it to your horse, if not only to yourself, your own safety, to be the one that thinks ahead and uses good judgment and always plans for the worst case scenario, like my father said. All right. Question number two comes from Jessica on Facebook. How do you safely get a horse to be non-reactive to something like barking dogs? Every day, I need to walk my big thoroughbred mare along our fence line, and we are rushed by the neighbor's dogs. She spooks and runs all over me, runs around in a circle, and kicks. It's so incredibly scary. I've started anticipating it, and so has she. All right. Well, Jessica, that sounds just like a thoroughbred to me. Uh, They can be very dramatic in their behavior, and uh, running in circles and kicking out is what they love to do most. But really, to be frank, this is simply a matter of enforcing your ground manners. Now, I'm going to assume that the dogs that are charging you stay on their side of the fence and that you have some kind of alleyway that requires you to go near them, but that they are not actually having direct access to you. So assuming that you are not walking too terribly close to the fence, you know, I give some reasonable distance from the fence, you should insist that your horse walks in a straight line beside you and does not get in front of you and never comes on top of you. There's no situation, barking dogs or rushing cars or whatever, in which I would tolerate a horse running over the top of me. Again, I'm going to look ahead and make sure I don't put the horse in an untenable situation. But if this is an alley that you walk down every day and that the fence keeps the dogs away from you, um, the horse just needs to learn to keep it together. And it needs to learn to abide by its ground manners all of the time, not just some of the time. I would prepare ahead of time, make sure I had a rope halter on the horse and a long lead line, maybe, maybe a flag and a stick if I needed it. Hopefully you've worked on your leading manners in other areas. And so your horse has some idea of how to act appropriately. And in that case, it's just going to be a matter of enforcing the rules in this particular area and and of reminding your horse how to act. 
So well before you approach the dogs, I want you to do a little groundwork with your horse, schooling your horse on its lead line manners. You know, go when I go, rate your speed with me, stop when I stop, don't crowd me, stay in this particular place, so on and so forth. In your schooling, you're going to be very sharp and very particular, correcting the smallest infractions, but praising your horse when he does well. And this is just a way of reminding your horse of certain expectations that you have in the way he leads. And then as you approach the bad spot where the dogs are, before you get there, ask the horse to stop and stand. You know, be as far away from the dogs as you think you need to be in order to maintain control, but require the horse to stand. Allow him to settle, drop his head, take a deep breath, and then ask him to walk a few steps closer and stop and do the same thing. Allow him to settle, take a deep breath, lower his head, praise him and pet him, and move through that area ultra slowly, stopping, taking deep breaths whenever you need to. Correct the horse when he moves into you or tries to get in front of you and show the horse exactly what you expect of him. If it takes all day to go past the dogs in this manner, I would do that. I would only proceed when the horse was acting properly. And it might take you a long time to do that once. Like it's not going to take you all day, but it might take you, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes maybe. Uh, But that is time that is well invested. And the next day that you do it, it's going to be just a small fraction of that amount of time. But what you're basically saying to the horse is that there are no circumstances in which it is okay for you to come over to the top of me and that you always have to abide by your manners. I will keep you safe. This is a place I have determined to be safe and you need to abide by the lead line rules that you know. So always defend your boundaries with a horse that tries to come over the top of you and the horse will learn that that's not an option. And that's really important, not only because we don't want our horse to learn bad behaviors, but because it's dangerous and you could get hurt. All right, question number three comes from Susan via email. She says, I recently read about using different sets of brushes for each horse. Is this something you do? I have two horses and a mini, and I intermingle brushes. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, Susan, it's a good question, and I think that, uh, yeah, there's there's situations in which it is a good idea to separate brushes between horses, um, but that you don't always have to do that. There's times in the past when I've used more than one set of brushes, but I don't now. When, when we were training horses a lot, having a lot of outside horses coming in, you were going from one horse to the other horse to the other horse, one after the other. Super easy to transmit germs and skin fungus uh, type things between horses. So we would generally separate brushes and not just brushes, but saddle pads and cinches as well. So that would be as a means to control germs and fungus from spreading horse to horse. So today I just have one horse myself and there's only four horses on the property. We don't have horses coming in and going out. We live in a dry climate where there are very few problems with the horse's skin. So there's no reason for me to separate the brushes. I mean, you know, I use my brushes on my horse. Rich uses his brushes on his horse. Lucy uses her brushes on her horses. 
we don't intermingle our brushes in that way. But if I had two horses, I would probably use my brushes on two horses. Now, another reason to use different brushes on different horses would be if you have some horses with super sensitive skin that will only tolerate certain kinds of brushes, like very soft, natural bristles. Some horses can be very particular in this way. So you might have a set of brushes that are special for a horse because it has special needs in the in the tactile department. So if it's just in terms of spreading germs and you have a small herd um, and don't have a problem uh, with germs and skin fungus, I don't think there's anything wrong with sharing your brushes. Now, remember, no matter what you do, it's a good idea to disinfect your brushes every so often. I would say uh, quarterly, twice a year, um, just put them in a big bucket of warm, soapy water, throw some disinfectant in there and uh, rinse them good and let them dry in the sun. And this helps control some of the germ spreading and fungus spreading that can occur between brushes. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening. I hope you're busy crafting your audacious goals for this year and that you're inspired to accomplish something that's important to you. I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I appreciate all your feedback, suggestions, and questions. Ride On with Julie Goodnight is available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Remember to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode and invite your equestrian friends to join us. If you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. It means a lot to me, and it helps new listeners find this podcast. And don't forget to check out my online memberships to the Academy. You'll find solutions you need when you need them. I have a monthly or yearly library membership, and that gives you access to hundreds of videos, full episodes of my TV show, audios, and articles on the topics you want to know more about. Or get online coaching from me with my Interactive Academy membership. I'll help you assess where you and your horse are now so you can move forward with a structured 12-month training plan and personalized coaching from me every step of the way. You can also enroll in my Build Your Confidence with Horses Horsemanship Short Course. Just go to juliegoodnight.com join and start your ride. And join me again next month for another episode of Ride On with Julie Goodnight. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your upper level skills. I hope you found some helpful information here to make your horse life better. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening and please stay safe and enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm.